What makes a melodrama melodramatic? What makes a good Hollywood melodramatic melodramatic? It usually has the things of the flesh, really fear, anger, jealousy, and plots for revenge, intent on murder. Hatred fuels the tension. In a good melodrama, there's an actor, a protagonist. He reaches a certain status. And the antagonist murks silently in the background, brooding as they seek their revenge. 1 Samuel 18 is a melodrama. It is the rise of David from nothing to something. He is loved. He succeeds greatly. He reaches a certain fame, and there in the background, under the shadow of his fame, slithers Saul, filled with anger, fear, jealousy, and plots for murder, murderous intent. And behind this drama is the oldest drama in the book. It's that old drama that every chapter, every book of the Bible is filled with this drama. It is the enmity between the offspring of the serpent, serpent and the offspring of the woman. It's the hatred of Satan for Christ and his church. It's the antagonism of the flesh and the spirit that are at odds with one another. It's this fallen world's hatred of Christ's church. And behind this enmity lies fear, but the church should fear not, for it is a story of triumph, as Christ triumphs over sin and misery. And for us this morning, I want to use this story to help us overcome the flesh, to help us overcome the drama now, when I talk about drama, when I mention drama, I don't mean the suffering and the troubles of the world because that is the Christian life. Life under the cross is a life of suffering and it's a life of trouble. By drama, I mean the dramatics, the fracas, the trouble of the flesh, you know, as in he's so full of melodrama or man, she has so much drama in her life. That's the stuff of the flesh that I want us to learn to overcome. So the title of my sermon this morning is, Don't Be So Dramatic. Don't be so dramatic. And it's a, it's a how-to sermon this morning. And you're thinking, oh, cool, how-to sermons. We don't get many of those from Pastor Jared. Well, don't fear. In the end, the sermon will probably be more about Christ, <laughs> as is my MO. Even when I'm trying to write a, a, a how-to sermon, I end up mostly writing about Jesus Christ. But don't be so dramatic. That's a good thing. So anyway... But it is a how-to. Don't be so dramatic. Don't live by the flesh. Let us walk by the Spirit. Now, verses 1 through 5 of 1 Samuel begin with love and exaltation. The story is getting set. This melodrama is beginning. David was loved. David was exalted. Verse 1 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's a beautiful expression of, of brotherly friendship. 
Jonathan's soul was tied to David. And now they become soulmates, best friends. And why not? They're both champions. They're both warriors, heroes. Both went after an enemy. Both under insurmountable odds were victorious over a great enemy. And then both led Israel to a great victory. But most importantly was the bond of faith that they shared, the bond of faith in the Lord. It's their faith that tied them together. And this is the love of Christian brothers. C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, what draws people to be friends is that they see the same truth. They share it. Friends see the same truth, they share it. We live in it. There's no greater bond for the Christian than our faith. And our faith will see us together through the good times and more importantly, through the worst of times. And here in this faith and here in this bond, we see the church. And here we find that the church helps alleviate the drama that's in this life. Psalm 133, one says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant when the church is together, one together, one together in this life, one together sharing in its misery, sharing in its pain, sharing in its trouble, coming alongside each other. It's good, it's pleasant. Life in Christ's church is a good and pleasant life, one without all the drama. And so Satan tries to separate us from Christ's church. He attempted to storm Job's courage when Job was afraid. The tempter said, to which of the holy ones will you turn? To which of the holy ones will you? Who knows your pain? Nobody knows your trouble. The church really can't help. The holy ones can't help you. They don't know your pain. They don't know your trouble. And here's the dramatics. You're all alone. But the apostle reminds us that all the various troubles and all the troubles in this life, so though they be various, various temptations and various sufferings and various troubles, no, we are all together one with these troubles. We all know the pain. We all share. We all live life under the cross. You see, the cross not only saves the Christian, the cross is how God deals with the Christian. And so we know together this pain and we must know and come together in love and service to one another. We're all under the banner of cross, the banner of the cross. We must suffer together, weep with those who weep. We must, rejo- we must rejoice together. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, Jonathan wasn't the only one who loved David. Verse 2, it says, and Saul took him that day, would not let him return to his father's house. Why wouldn't he let him return? Because Saul loved David. And Saul now loves David as if he's one of his own. He will not let him go. And then it says, verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And here we just see the the love. And you're going to see in this text that David is just loved and loved more and loved more. And as he's loved, he's exalted. And as 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 he's loved, he succeeds. And as he succeeds, he's exalted. And here it says, Jonathan made a covenant. Now, what kind of covenant did Jonathan 
make with David. And in the Old Testament, the word for covet, berit, means to cut a covenant. It is a covenant of faithfulness. It's a covenant of faithfulness. And here, Jonathan is promising to be loyal, to be faithful to David, loyal to the very end, to love and care for David, even to forsake himself. Jonathan is willing to forsake, and we're going to see it in a moment, he does so. He's willing to forsake his position. He's willing to forsake his person to love and serve David. And in this, Jonathan is a type of Christ, is he not? Christ is the greater Jonathan who forsook the glory of heaven itself to die on the cross out of faithfulness for his people, for those whom he loved. Sacrificed himself out of faithfulness for his church because there's nothing more dramatic in this life. There's nothing more dramatic in this life than death and hell. But in Christ we hear, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And by faith in Christ, and by faith in Christ, death is now, now rather very anticlimactic. We have victory over the grave. And David would be king. And perhaps Jonathan sensed it. That's why he makes this covenant of faithfulness, and he joyfully accepted it. He was even able, easily able to abdict his throne to David, which he did here in verse 4, at least providentially. Verse 4 says, And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. You see, in the ancient Near East, your clothing represented your power and your person and your place in life. And by Jonathan giving David all of his clothing, his sword, his shield, and all of these fine crucialments for battle, he is basically abdicting his throne and giving his throne to David. It will be yours. And by this act, Jonathan renounced his right to the crown. He gives it to David. And again, Christ is the greater Jonathan here who willingly lowered himself and he came not to be served, right? Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. But this willingness to be lesser, this willingness to be lesser is also an act of faith on our part. As I said just a moment ago, the cross is not only how Christ saves us, but the cross is how God deals with us. And we are to be servants of all servants. And faith should put away our rights. And faith should put away even the rights we end up in our flesh putting over Christ. Because we often put rights, our rights above Christ. Our rights to personal happiness and our rights to personal fulfillment, health and wealth. And those rights, by the way, often only lead to more drama as we say on the streets, more money, more power. Your pastor's very streets. He knows the streets here in Missoula, Montana. <laughs> but faith forsakes it all to trust Israel's true king. So faith can say the Lord gives, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Love when the Lord gives. 
But faith also says the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord who takes away. And there's no drama. If you can live by that mantra, blessed be the Lord who gives, and blessed be the Lord who takes away, if you can live by that, there will be no drama in your life, only the glory of God. And where there's the glory of the God, there's no drama. And so Jonathan here is elevated. He's elevated David. And then so does Saul. Saul elevates David. Verse 5, and David went out and was successful. There we hear the success. We're going to hear the success over and over again. Wherever Saul sent him, he was successful. So that Saul set him, he elevates him. Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, in the sight of all the servants. David's success becomes a theme in this text, and he is exalted behind this theme, behind this text, behind all this love stands a greater love. You see, the term was successful in Hebrew. The term was successful in Hebrew. It was a very theologically significant term. It is a term tied to Torah. It's a Torah term, if you will. I just came up with that on the spot. I like that. A Torah term. In Torah, the Torah promises, God promises his love to whoever obeys all of his commandments. Whoever fulfills the commandment, says Torah, God will bless. To those who are successful, God will bless. And so behind this love stands this blessing of God because David was a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see that, right? He is a man after God's own heart. He's fulfilling, he's keeping Torah, and the Lord is blessing him. But behind this, David is a greater David, right? Jesus Christ, the true son of God, who obeyed all of God's commandments, obeyed all of God's love, received that approbation and love of a father, which thankfully he now shares with us, his people. And he's praised by all. Verse 6, and as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines. They coming out to praise and they celebrated, says. They all celebrated. Saul struck down his thousands. That's wonderful. But oh no, David is ten thousands. And so David continues his reign as champion. And everybody loved David. He's on the rise, he's on the rise to the top. But when you're on the rise, <laughs> here comes the drama. Verse 18. And now from verses 18 to verses 19, the text turns from all about love. David's all loved, but also now he's hated. Previously, he's just loved and exalted. Now he's loved and hated. Verse 8. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. Now here comes the jealousy the flesh. He said, they have ascribed, you kind of got to read it with a whiny voice. <laughs> they ascribed to David 10,000s, and to me, they only ascribed thousands. You know, that's the flesh. You hear it all the time in your little ones, right? And what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul now begins to perceive David as a threat, and now he has that jealousy burning. The flesh is being worked in him. Desire of the flesh, jealousy. Jealousy is the sin that destroyed the chief cherub when he wanted to be like God and fell to the earth. And now he prowls around like a lion seeking to consume Christ's sheep. His chief virtue is hate, for he's consumed with jealousy. And here in this text, we see that Satan really is 
the director of all that is melodramatic in life. He's the great director of the melodrama. Now, the writer's use of the verb translated, it says, kept an eye on him. The word, the phrase, keep, kept an eye. The actual word, kept an eye in Hebrew, sounds just like the word in Hebrew, to sin. If you hear those two words together, you don't really know what he's saying. Are you saying keep an eye on someone or to sin against someone? And that's the point. Now, now Saul is carrying on that enmity against God's people, and he's going to do everything in his power to sin against God's chosen. He's carrying on the mantle of the enmity of the offspring of the serpent to attack the offspring of the woman. It's the enmity between the darkness and the light. It's an enmity we all share in, by the way. And so Peter calls the church to resist the devil by being firm in the faith. Now, how, does, how are we to be firm in the faith? How do we resist the devil by being firm in the faith? Well, the answer is faith in Christ alone, right? That's always the answer, faith in Christ alone. But what you must recognize about faith in Christ alone is that faith is never alone. For once you believe in Christ, you're filled with the Spirit. And now by the Holy Spirit, we must stand faith and must live at odds with the flesh. And so we overcome fear with hope, hate with love, jealousy with sacrifice. And life by the Spirit is freedom. It is freedom from the melodrama. Now here's the how-to part of the sermon. How to overcome the melodrama. I want to give you two virtues, two important virtues that help you overcome the melodrama in life. And those two virtues, well, the first is very familiar. The first virtue is humility. We need humility. Humility reminds us of our place and our person and who we are as Christian servants, not our own, bought with a price under the cross. God not only saves us by the cross, deals with us by the cross. We are called to serve. As Christ came to serve, we are to be servants. So that's humility. Humility puts us in a certain place where we must be servant. Now, uh, servants. Now, the second virtue that we need is curiosity. You see, curiosity helps us fill in the blanks. It helps, shows us how to be those servants. Now, I don't, I'm not talking humility and curiosity for life, which you should have, but even particularly, humility and curiosity helps when there's trouble, when there's drama. When the drama happens, humility reminds us of our place and curiosity helps us ask questions. So someone cuts you off in the road, you get angry. But instead of getting angry, remember, you're, you're humble. And now you're curious. I wonder where he's going so fast. I wonder where she needs to be. I wonder if there's something going on in her life. I wonder if she's okay. And now you're not so angry, right? You're thinking about someone else. And continue that curiosity. Someone is angry with you. You're curious. I wonder why they're so angry. Why are they so upset? Why is there so much contempt from this person? Why is she being so critical? And before you know it, you're thinking less about yourself, which is where the flesh wants you to be, right? That's where the flesh eats up self, consumes you with self. But now you're thinking about others is where the spirit leads. It leads you with peace. It leads you with patience. Now you can be patient with people, and now you're going down the road of empathy, all because you were curious, because you want to serve, because you're humble, 
because you're walking by the Spirit of God. Humility and curiosity, don't leave home without them. When someone shows you contempt or critical nature or criticism, don't fight back, but ask yourself, I wonder what's going on in that person's life. I wonder what trouble they've had. It gives you empathy, which is an important virtue for Christian living. There's your how-to. I probably won't go there again for a couple of years. No, I'm just kidding. David was loved and hated, verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did. You know, he comes and he's playing the music, trying to help. We already know the story. He soothes this evil spirit. Now, evil, harmful spirit could also be translated evil spirit, and evil causes harm. Now, the interesting thing here is that it's from God, though. So notice it's a harmful spirit from God. And so we want to ask the text, does God do harm? Does God do evil? And we answered, no, God doesn't harm, God doesn't do evil, but he allows it. He allows the evil. And not only does he allow the evil, but he directs it. And the point is God's in control. God is in control. From God means he's in complete control. And complete control means for us peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. You see, the sovereignty of God is a doctrine you must know. It helps alleviate the the drama. You want less drama in your life? Remember the sovereignty of God, that he's in control, that he is an almighty God who can do all his will, his holy will, but he's also a faithful father, and his will is for your good. And so he's moving and directing and heaven and earth itself, moving mountains, if you will, all for your good, even when there's trouble, even when there's sorrow, the cross, it's for your good. God not only saves us by the cross, but he directs us by the cross, and we can see that there's an answer in the cross. The promise of the cross is always salvation. And God is working through the trouble and the trials for your salvation. And when you believe that, when you know that, when you live that, there will be less drama. And so now here Saul attempts to murder David and we see the continued enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the woman. Verse 12, he has a spear and, and we got to remember the spear is important. Who, had a, who else had a spear against David just in the last chapter? Goliath had a spear and now Saul has a spear. So now he's getting attacked by another man wielding a spear. But again, David evaded, evaded him twice. And it says, verse 12, and Saul was afraid. Now we see that virtue fear because the Lord was with him. Saul was was afraid. Jealousy, anger, fear, fear because the Lord was with him. Now, fear is another major virtue of the offspring of the serpent. Think about Adam and Eve. What's the first virtue we see of Adam and Eve after the fall? What's the first thing we see them do when God enters their presence? Fear. They hid from God in fear. And fear causes us to go into hiding. Fear causes us to go into hiding so that we depart from love. If you're afraid of God, you're departing from love itself. God is love. And so the Bible says, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We'll, we'll kind of finish here, but keep your finger. We're not done with uh, Samuel, but I want to turn somewhere else in the Bible. 1 John, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John 4.18. 
You know, we might highlight this verse. It's a good verse. I need to highlight it. It's not even highlighted in my Bible. This is a really good one. Do as I say, or do as I do. Great verse. First, 1 John 4:18. Here we read God's word. There is no fear in love. You see that? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The perfect love, there's a perfect love that casts out fear. There's a perfect love that casts out fear, and where is this perfect love? It's found in the next verse, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. I know you know that verse. We love because he first loved us. God's love towards us in Christ is the peace we need with God. It's the peace that takes us beyond the reach of fear because instead of fear, we have hope. In the place of fear, we have hope. You see, life outside of Christ is a life of fear, a life of lots of melodrama. But life in Christ, there is peace. Now, if your life is full of the melodrama, if people often think or say to you, you have a lot of drama in your life, perhaps it's because your life is not filled with the spirit, with the flesh. And then the question is begged, well, how do I get my life filled with the spirit? And the answer is the love of Christ. We love because he first loved us. Look to the cross. Trust in Christ. There's the answer. There's the hope. Look to Christ's love for you on the cross. It has a way of casting out the drama. Now back to 1 Samuel. It's a story. The rest of the story is success. David is successful. David is love. The Israel begins to love, verse 18. All of Judah loved David, it says. All of Israel, all of Judah, the entire country loved David. He's very loved. He's very successful. Verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings. And so Saul tries to get rid of him. Verse 13, he removes him from his presence. He does everything he can to get rid of him, but everything always backfires, and David is successful. And then he's loved more. And then he tries to get him to marry his daughter, Merib. Verse 17, I'll give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant. Fight for me. Fight my battles, or excuse me, fight the Lord's battles. So he appeals to David's piety, right? Fight the Lord's battles, David, and you can have a daughter, my daughter. And he goes out, and it backfires. He says, for the Saul thought, let my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But David wouldn't marry him because David was too honorable, too humble in his place, in his position to marry the king's daughter. Who am I, he says, verse 18. Who are my relatives? I'm nobody. My father's clan in Israel, that I should be the son-in-law to the king. And then so the daughter is finally given to another man. But then verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. There's that love again. He's loved by the daughter. And they told Saul, and this thing pleased him. And then here's the serpent again, plotting, plotting to kill David. Verse 21, so Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. What does it mean for Michal to be a snare for him? That verb snare is often tied, at least in Torah, again, 
to the idea of idolatry, that idolatry is a snare, that idolatry can be a snare for the man of God. Idolatry can be a snare for the Christian. And so what Saul is hoping here is he already knows his daughter's an idolater. We're going to find out she is later. And he's hoping that his idolatrous daughter can snare and trap David, that he will become an idolater himself and therefore lose the love of God and rather be cursed by God. So he's doing everything in his power to destroy, to kill. But then Saul overcomes this with his humility. He again will not marry the son's daughter-in-law. And so Saul, you know, he, he appeals to his, he's too poor. He says, of verse 23, I am a poor man. I have no, reputa- no reputation, reputation. I could not afford a bride, pie, a bride price for the king's daughter. Who am I? Then Saul said to him, thus shall you say to David, verse 24, the king desires no bride price except, and here's something, here's the except, here's something David could afford, a man of war, Right? I don't want a bride price. I know you're poor, but he appeals again to who he is as a man of war. Bring me 400 foreskins of the Philistines. And then he appeals to his piety again that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. And now Saul sought to make, he again wants his demise. He again wants him to fall by the hand of the Philistines. Make him go out, try to get these 200 foreskins, and the Philistines will kill him. But again, it backfires. Verse 27, David arose and went along with the men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And he brought the full number of the foreskins to Saul. And then it says, and Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when the Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that's an important theme we've seen throughout the text, the Lord is with David. The Lord loves David. Michal loves David. Israel loves David. Judah loves David, verse 29. And Saul becomes even more afraid of David. So that Saul was David's enemy continually. So Saul continues to grow in fear. It's the offspring of the serpent against the offspring of the woman. Enmity, enemies continually. And though he tried to overcome Verse 30, the princes of the Philistines came out to battle. David is sent to battle as often as he was sent. And again, more success. And David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. He gained a fame in Israel more than any other, highly esteemed. This is a story of drama, lots of drama. Jealousy, anger, fear, hatred, plots of murder. In all of this, Christ knew well. But also the success. Jesus knew the trouble and Jesus knew the fame. He knew the success. He knew the love and he was exalted like David. Jesus is like David here, but Jesus was greater. He had the greatest love of all, the Father's love, just like David. But even greater, the Holy Spirit was with Christ, just like David. The Lord was with him, and he was victorious, but he was victorious over the cross and victorious through death, and now he is exalted. And he has a name that is above every name, exalted to the highest place. And Jesus Christ now receives all the love, and he is loved by the Father like no one else. The Father loves the Son like no other. 
No one is loved by the Father who's lavished upon him the kingdom and all its glory. And by faith in Jesus Christ, friends, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are a sharer of that love. And by faith in Christ, no one loves you as deeply as the Father. No one cares for you more than the eternal God. No one will be faithful to you. No one will move heaven and earth for your well-being. No one will provide for you. This absolute love, the love of a father. And so the drama of God's love for you in Christ is an everlasting story. <laughs> it's a story that will carry you on to eternity. A story of love that goes beyond. A love that overcomes all the drama. So don't be so dramatic. Don't be so dramatic. Christ is exalted. And the spirit of peace is ours. And the Father loves his own forever. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.